This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. And now, here he is, your host, Jim Irvin. Yes, yes, I am home. I am home. I am home. One more time recording from home in Mason, Michigan. Because you never know where I'm going to be. I mean, I could be uh, I could be in a park somewhere, sitting up on a table. As long as I can plug in, we can record and talk about the blues, can't we? Always. <laughs> well, I am your host, Jim Irvin. Thank you so much for joining us on Time Signatures. And once again, it is my pleasure to welcome the very first president of the Capital Area Blues Society. Uh, her name is Bonnie, please call me Queen B. Stebbins. And also Ron Eggleston, who, Ron, you served as a secretary, as a reviewer. You did kind of all kinds of stuff, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was so much. We, we talked about a great deal uh, in the first episode, but there was so much left uncovered that we hadn't talked about yet that we had to have a second helping. And I'm not convinced that we don't have enough for a third, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're just going to do two today. This is the second episode uh, with this one, and I have a feeling we will definitely get together again and um, and talk about some more stuff. As a matter of fact, Bonnie, I'm thinking I want to do a show with past presidents. Mm. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, talk yeah. about the different things. But uh, let's let's turn our attention to to what we're doing right now. Queen Bee, through the years, you have become quite the historian of the blues, especially in the the greater Lansing area. Now. I've seen the collection that you've amassed in these beautiful binders, uh, having had an opportunity to scan some of the newsletters in them. I did not dig through the rest of it, but I was really impressed with these great big binders that were just full of everything, including notes and everything else. Having seen these, I have to ask you, what are you doing with all of this incredible history? Well, I probably have over 60 years worth plus because and she's not joking folks i've seen the binders okay <laughs> yeah. well those are you know just the the tip of the iceberg of the blues iceberg because of my connection with the blues and how i felt they really saved me from a dysfunctional family mm-hmm. and i felt a, a really deep commitment to preserving chronicling documenting anything and everything about the blues so whether i'm carrying my little Radio Shack cassette recorder and recording things because I, I, I'm I not into tech. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when I started doing the recordings, that's you know, pretty much what you had available. Remind me, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Okay. Remind me to show you this little gadget after we get done. <laughs> Basically, this is a handheld version of what you're seeing here on the desk. But uh, this is okay. this is today's version of the cassette recorder. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I might want to get one of those. But but you know, I mean, taking copious notes and copious photographs. Oh, and yeah. I had a camera with me to everything we did, and and just just drinking in everything I could um, about blues. Now I I would come home from an event. I would have like Chicago Blues Festival or or Mid Michigan Blues Festival that we had at Jambalaya's or or even the one at the Riverfront Park. 
and I would I would put all my memorabilia, programs, tickets, wristbands, you know, flyers that I would pick up for other blues bands that were announcing gigs sure. and or clubs or anything. And they would all go into this nine by twelve envelope and just be, you know, okay, I'll put that here. No organization whatsoever with all this stuff because I had no plan what to do with it. I just knew that I needed to preserve it. And then when I got diagnosed with lung cancer in 2014, it dawned on me the night before I went in for surgery to have half a lung removed, I thought, you know, if I don't make it, what's going to happen to not only all the blue stuff in my house, but everything in my house? Sure, sure. And so I decided that I've got to start making plans to see if I can find a good home for these. And as a subscriber to Living Blues Magazine, which I I think is billed as the oldest blues magazine continuously in publication. Mm -hmm. But the contemporary issues always have, well, have frequently had ads. I think an eighth of a page ad for... If you've got blues memorabilia, photographs, records, uh, CDs, anything about uh, the blues, they want it at the University of Mississippi Blues Archives Special Collections. Very cool. So I contacted them, and before you knew it, we were on board. And I think in 2019, I started shipping things to them. Or maybe 2018 was the first time, first few shipments went out. And then, unfortunately, COVID hit, and because the library's special collections is not used that often, they shut those departments down. And so I wasn't able to ship anything for a couple of years. And, but I do um, photograph pretty much everything and then write a detailed listing, and I'm actually deeding these items to the Blues Archives. And then I had also contacted Chicago once I learned about them having a blues archives and so all my chicago material is going to them and same thing about um starting to ship items to them but i have so many more shipments i need to make now obviously you know my next question was going to be do you feel like you've done your part to help keep the blues alive (laughs) you've pretty much answered that question by what you just said Ron, how do you feel, man? Do you feel like you've been a good steward of the blues and and keeping it alive? <laughs> well, I've I guess I've tried, but uh, there's something more from what um, Bonnie's talking about because I'm I'm a member of the Greater Lansing Historical Society, uh-huh. and uh, she has a lot of material blues related and some other things that are local things that uh, we are talking with uh, Bonnie about uh, that we are going to find a good home that will be here in Lansing where people can access it for music in the Lansing area. In fact, next year, right now, the schedule is uh, that there's going to be uh, the focus for the blue, the historical society next year is music in Lansing, all kinds okay. of music. Sure. So I'm working, that's part of the things I have these notes here is starting to write up a history of the blues in the Lansing area and probably will be doing a program on that next year. But uh, a lot of the materials that Bonnie has, and specifically like these newsletters and the notes and all that, that's going to be here in a, a local repository in Lansing so that people can look at that material. Uh, so that, that's a really a good thing there. I, yeah. think, I think it's really cool that, um, first of all, that I was given an opportunity, and I want to thank both of you mm-hmm. because you were both instrumental in me having an opportunity 
to scan those old newsletters. Mm -hmm. And um, it's so much fun to go back and look. Yeah. Yes. I mean, some history. I mean, when yeah. Bill Malone yeah. joined uh, the Root Doctor Band, yeah. um, when B.B. King came to play at Michigan State. Michigan State. And Bobby Bill, Bland. <laughs> and, and Bill got to sit with him <laughs> and spent almost two hours talking to this guy. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, he had people out there mean-facing him and giving him the finger <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and it was just such a cool experience to hear and it, it makes me it makes me sad because I'm a I'm a late comer to the game, even though I've been a blues fan a good part of my life. Yeah, I I even sent my mom to see BB King several years ago, <laughs> right. and um, it it's so cool to know that Lansing was such a big part of that, you know, and and we brought in some big names back in the day, and that's I think that's why I want to see some of that happen again. Right. Yeah, you know? well, Ron had mentioned earlier about Mariah coffee house at the Erickson Kiva on the campus mm -hmm. of Michigan State and they were bringing in I have a and I didn't know Ron said he remembered seeing Muddy Waters I didn't remember that until I looked at a poster on the wall in my one of my rooms that I turned into an office okay and there's a poster of of Muddy Waters there's a poster of John Lee Hooker autographed oh wow and was Muddy's uh, autographed too I don't think so. I'm okay. going to have to, it's, you know, up on the wall on the side. And, and a poster of Coco Taylor was there. Um, oh, man. And it was just amazing. Um, she might have been at Rick's, but I, I know there are three of them. The Coco Taylor one is also autographed by all the band. Wow. But they were bringing in big names back then, and it was mm -hmm. amazing. And and they had good crowds, and, and that's really, you know, a part of the getting all that going. So And the support that it was there already yeah absolutely you know i i, I want to turn the page here just a little bit um we talked briefly we touched briefly on the uh the blues events that went uh went on in the the blues fest that happened at adato park but you guys were kind of uh leading the charge a little bit to bring the michigan which it wasn't the michigan blues fest originally was it it was well we started with mid michigan blues fest okay. and it was held at jambalaya's okay on the grounds of the restaurant out on lake uh, lake round lake it round was round lake, lake. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah out in langsburg and it was two or three years i think 96 97 98 maybe um and then i think the first couple of years it was called mid michigan blues festival then it went to michigan blues festival and then after um, Terry Terry uh, from the Old Town Business Arts and Development Association, okay. Bada for short, had contacted us to see um, if we would work with him and bring a blues fest to Old Town in Lansing. Mm -hmm. And we, I guess, declined to do that the first year and continued with one more year at Jambalaya's location. And then the following year, I believe it was 2003. Okay. Um, that we worked with Terry Terry and Abada to bring a put on a blues fest in Old Town. Lansing. The rest is history. It's yeah. been there ever since. Yeah, absolutely cool. Yeah, and and we've we've seen some really cool, really good up and coming artists come in. Uh, the thing that I like about what Terry does is um, when he brings people in, the they have to do one original, original. song. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool because they always announce that they're doing, hey, here's the original song that Terry tasked us with doing. And so you get to hear some new stuff. And it's yeah. it's never a dull moment 
at those events. And that's what yeah. I enjoy about it. Yeah. Absolutely. So at what point uh, did the Capital Area Blues Society start getting involved with the blues brawl, the, the, the international oh my blues goodness. competition? Uh, again, and I have to uh, attribute a lot of it to Ray Alshire and... Um, who was the chef at Jambalaya's? Dave Circo. Oh, no, no. no be- oh, Sean Bray. Sean Bray, Bray Beauvais. Uh, Beauvais, yeah. yeah. See, this is why I got you guys together, because yeah. you feed off of each other. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I have to, because I, I couldn't find my notes with, <laughs> with names and dates and everything. But that was 1996. Mm-hmm. We worked, we cabs, worked with um, Michigan Festival the Michigan on campus. Michigan Festival, yes. Okay, I remember that. I do remember Michigan Festival on campus. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not even sure. Michigan State University, East Lansing. I don't know who all put it on. The the MSU Museum did that. It was part of uh, Michigan's what 150th anniversary or something Ah. like that. They started. Yep. A series of that rings a bell. There were about ten years that they ran festival, and they brought in. Major talents. Uh, I mean, uh, the only time I ever saw Ray Charles and yeah. saw Johnny Cash, and I yeah. saw, and that was the only time I ever saw Aretha. You know, there, yeah. there, but there was a lot. And the the biggest one <laughs> was Hoodie and the Blowfish. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> that was the biggest crowd they ever had. But oh wow, um, that. Uh, but they they agreed to have let Cab set up a separate stage. Uh, and we had the the first uh, blues. It wasn't called the blues brawl was, at that time, but no blues uh, talent competition. Blues talent competition, okay. which is pretty interesting because that's only not even two years after the organization yes. started. You know, yes. uh, no, I'm just sitting here thinking about that. Yes. It's like wow, yes. it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, amazing. Uh, there's there's two two things that are big. I think that happened there. Okay, one is starting in January of '96, the Capitol Hill Station opened up as a blues venue. There were a lot of different blues venues in the area. But yes, this were. certainly this suddenly became the place to go for blues in the area. And a lot of people came and did jams there. Um, right. The first uh, jam was held in October of 95 at Green Door and the uh, Mike Daniels band, the Smooth Daddy kicked that off and there was uh, Ray and his uh, band, the, those Delta Rhythm Kings, did one after that, and other people came and, and did it. And then when the things, the meeting shifted over to the Capitol Hill Station, there were a lot of different people that got involved in the jams, and a lot of bands formed because of that. Wow. With that going on, people said, well, why don't we have a contest and, and, and send people off to uh, to Memphis, you know, so that's that's how it got tied in with the Michigan Festival. Okay, uh, but uh, that was also the time that Bonnie and a few other folks got together and Jim Flynn and said, "Well, we should, we want to have more national acts coming in here," mm-hmm. and they started underwriting that, and it was in no time at all, <laughs> you had a steady stream of national acts appearing at the Capitol Hill Station. Uh, it was uh, astounding to me. There were like two or three a, a, a week. You know, you yeah. could get wow. regional or national sure. acts. Uh, and uh, I lived not too far away, and my wife began to complain. I was out three <laughs> nights a week, <laughs> and I had to go to work the next day. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm going to stop you because you, you mentioned a key point that I want to talk about for a minute. 
you guys talked about Jim Flynn previously. You mm-hmm. talked about him on the first episode. Right. Jim Flynn is the guy that's known as Mr. Blues in the city of Lansing. Right. Um, the stories I've heard about this guy, he spent literally thousands of dollars yeah, out of his own yeah. pocket. He drove down to, to bring people. It wasn't just about, he didn't just talk about it. <laughs> he, tell me about this guy. Yeah. Well, he, he was friends with a lot of guys. Anson Funderburg was one. Uh, Smoking yeah. Joe Kubek was yeah. another one. Ronnie Earl, he, he talked about Ronnie Earl calling in the middle of the night and talk to him. <laughs> um, but he, <laughs> it was funny, though, because he would say, he'd be listening to him, I like this. I like this band a lot. <laughs> there wasn't a band he didn't like a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went to uh, down to Ann Arbor with him a few times to see uh, acts down there at the, at the Ark. There were some blues acts that came in there, okay. too. But he would drive to Texas. He would go to Chicago. He would go to Detroit, whatever. If there was somebody that he wanted to see, he would take off and, and go. Wow. But, but he was such a, a great supporter of the blues. And like you say, he put his money where his mouth was. Uh, he would, he had many acts that came into the, um, uh, into the green door. I think the last visit in town with Anson and uh, with his uh, vocalist that came through uh, he died soon after that um, uh, with Anson Funderburg, and he was up there dancing with everybody. <laughs> um, so, but, but Jim was was a great supporter of the blues, uh, and he made it uh, made it possible for a lot of a lot of us to see national acts that came through. And and he is still with us. He is still out there. I yeah. see him occasionally around yeah. Lansing. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a blues event, he'll be there. It's yeah. a it's a real treat. Well, he came out to um he came out to see mixed flavors, and I think he came out to see the lash with mm. Mike Flint and Mike Lynch mm. and some of the guys. Mm. And I mean, you know, and he's fun. Yeah, yeah. But you can just see the passion. Yeah. And and even though he's he's advanced in years, mm. he's still very much involved. And like you said, if it's the deal with the blues, right. he comes yeah. out and and, and joins, and I think that's really cool. And you should give a big shout out to to Big Dave too, because Big, Big Dave yes, really sir. is his chauffeur, and he really helps him out a lot. He gets him to where he wants to go. I've, yep, I've taken a lot of rides with Big Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I there's God, there's another episode right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I need to ask you guys, um, and Bonnie, I'll start with you. Uh, in your years with the Capillary Blues Society. I, I want to get a, a little insight here. Was there one artist that you remember as being truly mem- memorable for their performance? And I, I have a feeling I know what yours is going to be, Ron, but Bonnie? No, I, there's everyone is memorable for their performance. It's, your question reminds me of, because um, I've gone to the Chicago Blues Festival for 35 sure. years out of 40. And of course, they didn't have two uh, in 20 and 21. So... People would say, well, was this your best Chicago Blues Festival ever? No, this was the best Chicago Blues Festival because it was so unique and because these were the certain performers that were there. But every performer just brings what they've got. And, you know, Bobby Rush is one of the... Year after year, he wins Entertainer of the Year from the Blues Foundation, their Mm -hmm. Blues Music Awards. And 
and I have to vote for him year after year because he is the best entertainer. <laughs> and I have interviewed him. I've um, gone to his sisters in Jackson. I've helped him promote. He would, it hasn't been a few years, but for about 15, 20 years, he would come up to Jackson, Michigan from Jackson, Mississippi, and do a show there that his sister would get organized at some big venue and often had his dancing girls with him. Um, which, Shaking their booty. Which you, uh, he was at he, Jambalaya's one year. He, I was going to say, yes, and he, um, because I suggested him, <laughs> and that was a kind of a debate because he th- because with the dancers and some of his songs could be a little risque, but <laughs> you know it's the blues. Come on, lighten yeah. up. But he was, um, yeah. So he was fabulous. But anybody I've ever seen, for so many reasons, because they are just each person unique, each band unique, each band different sound. You just have to absorb it all, and so that everybody is fabulous. Everybody's the best. Okay, well spoken. Hey, uh, you are listening to Time Signatures with Jim Irvin. My guests are uh, Bonnie, please call me Queen B. Stebbins, and also Ron Eggleston. We are so pleased to have you guys with us. And I, I usually do this about halfway through, but there, there's been so much discussion that I just forgot. So forgive me. Um, Ron, how about you? Well, I can't pick one. Um, not yeah. even, not even one. You were telling me about one while we yeah. were on break, and you yeah, can't. Thornetta Davis uh, <laughs> in downtown uh, a few years ago. That was an awesome performance. Um, I think I, if I put number one event would be when James Harmon came to Capitol Hill Station. Uh, he is probably my favorite, uh, and he just put on an awesome performance there. Um, I, I've probably seen Mark Hummel more than any other blues p- performer. Uh, first time I saw him at Capitol Hill Station was was amazing. I'd never heard of him. The one that that really ties in with Jim Flynn is um, uh, Mike Morgan and the Crawl were scheduled to play out at Jambalaya's, and the band came in, but the Lee McBee, who was their vocalist harpist, uh, had some problems of some illness in the family or whatever, so he couldn't come in with them. He came in late. And Jim drove to the airport and brought Lee over. And he, and Mike had played a couple numbers, and everybody was, oh, yeah, this is pretty good, this is pretty good. And Lee McBee got on the stage, and he, <laughs> he started singing. I mean, three, three sounds out of his voice, and the whole place was going crazy. He, he was the most magnetic, charismatic player, uh, singer. Uh, he was awesome. And he put on a wonderful performance. Uh, that that one is really a, a lot of things. But there's a lot where you say, "Geez, I'm glad that I was I was there." You know, yeah. Johnny Bassett was a wonderful performer. Uh, there was a night at um, Leroy's, a little bar on South Cedar, <laughs> and uh, Harry Ullman was pr- promoting a series there, and they had his friend. Uh, shoot, I'm just drawing a blank on it. Um, a harp player came in and, and Yakety Yak was there. And, okay. he, and he was yakking in the background. And the next thing you know, he jumped up and he started playing. They were playing back and forth. <laughs> and it was just a nice crowd and everybody was having a great time. It's just one of those things where I'm just glad I'm here. You know, I'm glad I got to see this. You know, it was fun. So, uh, but but I say if I would, just to pick one, I would, I would say... Uh, 
James Harmon. Uh, probably number two would be seeing Muddy Waters. <clears throat> number three was when I was still teaching. I was up at Alma College. I actually got to see Howlin' Wolf. Oh, uh, and uh, the first time I saw B.B. Uh, King, I was at Alma College, too. That was a great experience. But there, it's hard just to say one. <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could just keep on going with this. We've almost burned up another episode. Can you guys believe no, this? No way. It's, yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, as, as we get ready to wrap up here, I just want to take a minute, and I want to ask both of you the same question. Um, Bonnie, I'm going to start with you. What advice do you have for future blues fans who are interested in working with the Capital Area Blues Society? Well, if you love the blues, even if you don't love the blues, just if you love live music, just get involved. Um, I'm sure you have some kind of talent, whether it's a writer, photographer, newsletter, editor, treasurer, you know, any kind of position. Just they can always use volunteers. And it really is a worthy cause, number one. And number two, they'll get so much out of it. They'll get much more out of it than what they give to their participation. I have to agree with that. Oh, see, I, I <laughs> as a volunteer yourself. I've, I've been on the board for almost two years, and, wow, I, and yeah. I agree. It gives so much back. Yeah. It really does. Ron, how about you? Well, I was just looking at the message that Bonnie gave to the first meeting and said, "What? why should we have a an organization and she said we we want to encourage the blues in more venues we want to collaborate with other blues um, societies uh, we want to pursue grants for activities such as blues in the schools programs I don't know if those still go on anymore and try to get sponsors uh, corporate sponsors or businesses uh, to support so we could have more uh, blues in the area and the blues is in a little bit of a recession right now. I'd like to see some people stirring up uh, some activity to get more yes. blues going yes. on. And uh, I think that the organization could, could do that. Uh, yeah. Queen Bee, Ron, it has been a pleasure, not just once, but twice. And uh, I believe there's enough on the table here that we can come back again and, and have another plate and talk again. Um, but I want to thank you both for spending, spending time with us on this episode and um, encourage you, if you have not gotten involved, you should get involved. I agree 120%. And it would be nice to see some more people get involved with the Capital Area Blues Society and step up and, uh, and offer to be a part of it because it's a great time. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of Time Signatures. We will see you around the bend. This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham. Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. Baby, I'm keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
Lansing Community College's dual enrollment program offers the opportunity for qualified high school students to earn college credit while working towards their high school diploma. Dual enrollment lets students receive educational advancement in areas where the student's interest is displayed, especially in courses and academic areas not available in the student's high school. To find out more information about dual enrollment, visit lcc.edu. Do you worry about how much someone else drinks? Do you ever ride in a car with a driver who has been drinking? Do you think if the drinker stopped drinking, your other problems would be solved? Al-Anon family groups are for relatives and friends who have been affected by someone else's drinking. In Al-Anon, people who have experienced the same kind of chaos and confusion in their lives will share what works for them. They will offer suggestions and support without telling anyone what to do. There is anonymity, confidentiality, and safety in Al-Anon family groups. And there is hope for a peaceful way of life. Are you troubled by someone else's drinking? You might be surprised at what you could learn in an Al-Anon family group from people just like you. For more information, go to alanon.org or call 1-888-4-ALANON to find an Al-Anon meeting near you. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC, connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports Trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars Stars on Sports. Sports. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stars on Sports. I am joined by our assistant AD and baseball coach Stephen Cutter. And Stephen, today um, I'd like to just dive into our fall season. You know, we're a month or so into our fall semester and sports season, and pretty much all our sports are going right now with the the rules and you know guidelines provided by the NJCA. So we've learned a lot in our short time here in the academic year. I'd like to dive into that a little bit and tie into, you know, some of the things that we are dealing with as we head into that fall season. So, you know, we celebrate our success. You hear it in our our byline of 
our past and our history, but you know, nothing like the present and True. you know what our goals are for this year. And our goals are always pretty high here at LCC of um, winning championships, whether it's in the classroom or in the community, but definitely on the, the playing field and, you know, had another successful last year. We didn't win the all sports trophy. We took second, but we still have a record 19 and, you know, we want to add to that this year. That's, you know, always a goal of mine because it shows the true picture of every sport doing well in their particular sport. And does anybody have more than 19? N- not to my knowledge. I think 16 is the s- next closest. And I think it's yeah. Grand Rapids who, who beat us last year by seven points. I believe we had a great year and I talked to their AD in the off season and they had a, a nice sophomore class run through or even some of right. that COVID class. But, um, you know, again, it's something I want to compete for and do well in because again, it's across the board of our sports right. doing well and, and see where we measure regionally. We want to measure nationally, which again, last year we won six of nine regional championships in our, in our sport that we compete in. And, you know, that's exciting to win that many at a regional level and, and to go on and compete at a national level. And this fall, our, our volleyball team is off to, I would think, one of their best starts in school history. They're sitting at 12 and two right now. Um, our cross country team, our men are ranked second and our women are ranked six, which- Nationally, right? Nationally, yeah. which is low for our women. But, you know, again, change over in a roster after winning the national championship two consecutive years, um, some missing pieces, but they yeah. will get better as the year goes on. But I, you know- that's that, super that, normal at the junior college level, though. You're you're typically seeing a lot half of your roster is changing every year, so it's and when you're successful, it Mm -hmm. could change every year as you've experienced. You know, students go on after one successful year to a a high level and perform. So definitely, you know, you 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 know, being at the high school and you think four years, wow, that's can be a long time with with somebody, but two years is it's pretty quick. Um, and then in four years for some people, it's not long. Oh, you, some kids you want to have for a lifetime. Um, so that's the nice thing about this business, but also even, you know, fall baseball and fall softball are starting. So, you know, going out and watching those games and the coaches seeing a good gauge where they, you know, we're at six weeks right now. That's crazy. mm -hmm. Where does time go? And then our basketball teams are putting their rosters and finalizing their rosters and, you know, doing some out of season, um, activities and the basketball season kicks off when games start November 1st and both of them are going on the road for a tournament at the beginning of November. We have a new women's basketball coach. We should probably have her on this podcast. And Uh, that's pretty consistent for every season, right? You know, that October 1st range games, November 1st yep. for, for basketball. Yeah, for the yeah. winter seasons, mm-hmm. I believe, in the, you know, yeah. basketball, our winter sports. So. I'm going to interject here just because I don't get it. So you said they're starting off with a championship? Who's that? For the basketball team? They're starting off with a tournament. A so, tournament. Yeah. Oh, so okay. Going, All right. Our women's team will be going to the Illinois area, and our men's team will be going to the Baltimore area, which coach has some relatives out there. They've gone out there pretty regularly and play a couple games out there against different competitions. So a lot of our teams usually take at least one trip in the season to go um, see some other teams outside of our our region. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm sorry I'll, if I'll, I, I'll close my mouth again. No, good question. Sorry <laughs> if I – we'd love to start off with a championship, but those are normally one – you know, at the end of the season. Yeah. Yep. You know, I like those those terms out there is you can't win it on the first weekend, but you can lose it on the first weekend. And and there's some merit to that, that, you, you know, True. depending on how long the season is or, or what can take place. But, 
yeah, you know, you're working toward the championship every day, and but the trophies are usually handed out um, yeah. at think, the end of the season. And I think that applies for dependent on what sport. You know, you can you might not be able to to win it, but you could lose it in the first week, and that can apply to like football and things like that. But sports that are um, stretch out further for you know mm-hmm. longer seasons, like baseball and softball, and even basketball and things like that. It's it's pretty much impossible to lose it in the first week yeah I agree it, you know I think you learn a lot in the first week as you sure. and I have talked about yeah. um, you know a lot of sports have preseasons and scrimmages but I think the first you know I think we're very similar to the academic calendar and I know I've shared this with you but yeah you, you know you do some some practicing and some learning where where students are and then you have that first test which is I think our first game and then you see where they're at after that first game and then you build toward that that final exam um, and there's certain um, processes to go through to 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 reach those and you know you and I talked about you know preseason meetings with student athletes you know the halfway point and then postseason meetings if you really want to get to know your student athletes and I think that's true of when you do grade reports for the academic calendar you, you know the begin your first exam the mid-season progress report and then your final grade and I think the good coaches and the good programs kind of to, to follow that model but as we are right now, I mean, we're learning a lot, a lot about our teams and a lot still can change, as you mentioned. But um, I think um, a lot of progress is made between that first contest and then those next couple weeks after that with, you know, if you if you reflect and see where you're at, if you, you talk to your student athletes and, you know, you practice with intention on improving those things. I think, you know, this is a, a huge time in, in our year right now is, is where are we, where do we want to be? And do we need to refocus some things? Do, you know, are we maybe not as strong in shooting or hitting that we thought we were, or we need to, you know, move this person somewhere else, or this person isn't performing where we want them to be. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with freshmen, you're dealing with, um, like, as you mentioned, transfers in. Um, there's a lot of variables. And, you know, we've hit a lot on that in the last week in our office, the different variables that our student athletes face that can impact um, their performance on the field. And right now they're right in the middle of their classes and some kids could be struggling and that could impact their classes or you know some kids could be not getting the grade they want you know we Mm -hmm. always seem to focus on the kid that are struggling but there's some kids out there that are mad they're getting a b right now when they should be getting an a or it's a or it's a hard class to deal with and you know it's you know taking a lot of time for them to do well in that there's a large cost for that piece too for those that have the standards that are really high and maybe they are getting a b but it's still not good enough for where they want to be or where they need to be to move on. And so then they're taking um, an exuberant amount of hours to be able to try to get that grade up. And so there's a cost there where they're losing sleep or they're missing time or, you know, with friends or family or anything else. So there's, there's definitely costs on, on both side of both sides of that. And and they, they do have very full backpacks and they're constantly dealing with things that sometimes you or I might think isn't really that big of a deal, but because of the situations they're in and the age that, that they are, it, it, it is a really big deal to them. And, and it's just trying to manage all of those, all of those issues that come up, whether it's in the athletic department or on the athletic teams. Yeah. And we're fortunate because it's really important for coaches to, um, 
understand their student athletes, get to know them, to have a relationship. And, you know, and as I've talked to you before in, in this podcast about making sure they talk to every student every day or, or another one I like is, you know, listening to hear. I mean, because you need to hear what's going on in their life because, you know, looking at their grade report, that's only one factor. I mean, everyone wants to focus on the kid that's getting a D or an E, but that might be the best they can do in that class where we might be letting a kid that's getting a B or C that should be doing better in that class. And sometimes we lose focus of that. And that's, you know, something I try and emphasize because everyone wants to just, you know, critique or, or throw the person under their butt that's getting a low grade, which they might be working as hard as they can, where there could be other kids that are being lazy or just skating by. And, you know, that carries over into the their performance on the on the athletic field. I had a Absolutely. A, a college coach tell me once that you know they looked at um, kids SAT and in ACT scores in relative to their GPA because if they have a high SAT score and a low GPA, that shows them that they're not working in the classroom, that they have the potential to be pretty smart. And if they're not working in the classroom, they're probably not going to work as hard for you. Um, on the athletic fields. But, so. th- but the key word is probably because if you track that stuff, you'll find that people that there are people that don't do very well in the classroom do really well on the field. And there are people that um, might not do really well on the field and they do really well in the community, in the classroom. And so there isn't any um, everybody's or, or all that. It, it is very random. And there's a lot of, if you track it, there's a lot of things that will really surprise you. And, and you start asking why, you know, why, why why can't they do well in the classroom, but they can do really well in the community, in the community service or, or whatever it might be between the lines. And you start asking why, and I'm not sure that you ever completely get those answers. Well, each kid is differently and, and each kid is, or student athlete is motivated differently. And we see it a lot in, in our business where student athletes love playing their sport. So they, they work hard and they, they are motivated to do well every day, but they just have no interest um, in the academic part of that. And yeah, um, some of them, some of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then those kids usually um, in educational athletic might not make it or just scare, you know, barely make it, but they could make it in a um, club setting or a, semi-pro setting because the mm-hmm. academic piece sure. isn't a part of that. And we've seen that at many levels of, of college athletics where um, student athletes don't want to be in the classroom. So they go and play in another area. And for us, you know, you have to do both that we have eligibility guidelines that they have to do so well, you know, you have a 2.0 past 12 credit to be, you know, eligible on the field. So that's a whole nother component when, you know, you're participating in college athletics compared to some other mm-hmm. areas. So that's why some kids, I think, do better in sport and not in the classroom because they just aren't motivated. And and, and, and again, it's individual too. Some kids do well in math and don't do well in English because they like math or they like history. It's, you know, kind of what their why is or what their passion is or, or what motivates them. And, you know, our goal and our job is using sport to motivate them in the classroom, that mm-hmm. to help them get that associate's degree or help them, you know, transfer to a, another institution after they're done here. And we're using sport as that method. Um, and there's other, you know, mm-hmm. ways to use it. But, you know, there's statistics there that if they get involved and they're invested in some activity in their high school or college career, that's going to help them perform better. 
in the classroom. I was thinking a little bit as you were talking about how successful the LCC teams have been here over a long period of time with all of those championships and 23 national championships as well. And it got me thinking a little bit as you were talking about that. What if we were to add more sports? Because I know our athletic department gets contacted a lot from just random uh, people that want to see this sport or that sport or esports or whatever it might be. What if we were to add sports? How, how does How does the athletic department go about that? Um, you know, we do get a lot of um, interest from our, you know, I have a student that just reached out to me that's going to be a student next year that wants to start nice. soccer. Nice. Um, and I, th- I gave her credit. You're planning ahead. Most come on campus and, right. and so you know, it just takes yeah. time to, to, to. But if you want, if, if we wanted to add soccer, how, how's that process work? Um, well, we're working on it. When I was hired here, one of the goals was to try and add sports here at LCC. And, you know, we're doing some different interest surveys. I was out at the campus resource fair. Um, the student newspaper put an article in the paper last year to contact me if you're interested mm-hmm. in this sport. Um, mainly it's, you know, individual students contacting me. I have, I've met with a couple local soccer coaches. I've talked to a bowling coach in the area that, you know, from my high school connections that have reached out to me and, and wanted to add those sports here um, at LCC. We used to have a golf team in our previous interim AD. Um, Nicole met with a golf person. We had know, a hockey team a, too. Yep, a hockey club in the past. So, you know, we've had we've had swimming and tennis if you look way back. But it, interest is, is probably the, the driving factor if there's sure. an interest mm-hmm. to, to add that sport. But there's a number of other factors too, one being cost and financial sustainability. Um, the other is recruiting base. Do we have a, a demographics mm-hmm. in our area mm-hmm. to, to recruit those um, student athletes that could help us succeed in that sport? Staffing. Um, staffing, quality mm-hmm. coaches, you know, what the league offers. I mean, I'm meeting with a gentleman this Thursday about football. And um, the, wow. the toughest thing about football is there's no one in a four-hour radius to play. So your travel budget significantly increases if you want to add football. And Community Christian in Detroit has football and Hockey in College in Ohio has football. Grand Rapids had it many he years ago and won a national and championship. And successful, yeah. Um, and, and many people, you know, I've talked to, because I, I talk to our other colleagues when I, someone comes to me about adding a sport. I was talking to a um, you know, retired AD a couple weeks ago about the difficulties of adding football. So I get somewhat um, number of requests throughout the year, um, bowling, soccer, and golf are seen to be the ones that have rise to the top. Com- competitive cheers, another one. I'm, I'm meeting with a lady on in a couple okay. weeks, and have talked to a couple of high school coaches. Esports is one we're really looking at as a as a college. I've been working with our IT and media departments on on okay. developing that. That seems to be a growing sport. I've been talking to high schools in the area that have esports because back to our success if you want to be successful you got to have a good recruiting base and we start locally with our recruiting base and fortunately for us in all those sports we mentioned i think we have a strong recruiting base at the high school level that would help us be successful right away grand rapid just added soccer at their community college and their men's team doing really well and their women teams around 500 but it probably you know it starts with staffing and it starts with having a a strong recruiting base so all those factors play into it money uh, scheduling interests and not one of them or the other but you definitely need interest to 
um, start something. And I listen to any, I'll meet with any student. I got a student athlete that comes in and sees me every two weeks about golf. You know, and we're nice. working towards. Um, and can it be a club sport? Can you start with non scholarships? And, what's and, what's you know. what's a club sport mean? Um, well, at the community college, it means a, a much different thing than it does at the four year right. institution. Because at the community college, it counts as your eligibility. It, mm-hmm. So you only, you get two years of eligibility at the community college. Right. And playing on a club sport in the community college is that it's more just a non funded sport. We you know kind of be run through our student life department. Where gotcha. at the four year institution, a club is. At the club sport and it doesn't count toward the a student eligibility athlete. right yeah. yes so but it's a one way to kind of maybe see if it's sustainable and maybe to um progress towards um adding funding to it depending on the funding outlook so again there that's another um detail you have to finalize is how do you want it to look like it's not easy just to add a sport the next year some you some me- sports you take a year just to recruit to add a sport for sure you mentioned soccer is the, a lot of teams in our conference have soccer um more have women than men's soccer i want to say there's like 10 teams that have okay. women's soccer maybe six to eight that so have travel wouldn't be an issue no, for for that no. but maybe for a sport like football then yes. logistically it's it's much more of a challenge it would um so soccer would be a, a one that we you know could could add and have some success with bowling is another one around 10 to 12 of okay. our our leagues schools offer and the same with golf at the little less six to eight um there's done some you know the njca doing a great job of some emerging sports men volleyball um southwestern michigan college has bass fishing mm-hmm. and esports and then mid michigan and montcalm college have clay target shooting and bass fishing so again colleges are trying to find way different ways to get students involved that might not just be interested in sports or as you and i have talked about in music or the arts Mm -hmm. so just other interests that that bring students on campus do do you anticipate pickleball anytime soon (laughs) not soon i mean because right now the biggest perception with pickleball is people think it's a um senior citizen sport but it actually is trickling down really and it it's you know it's one of those new fun sports that I think will catch on. And they're turning malls across the country into pickleball facilities. So, so communities are really investing in pickleball. You're it's feeling a, like the commons could have a little area with some pickleball and maybe a couple lanes for a bowling alley coming soon. You know, pickleball is growing. Bowling is, is you know, grew and when the high schools added it 10 years ago. So I don't know if that's still growing, yeah. but I still think there's an interest to have bowling, but Pickleball, I think, is one of the fastest growing activity sports in the U.S. It is. I think, and in all age groups. Again, it started with probably senior citizens that thought they were too old to play tennis, and the tennis people didn't like it. But I think the tennis people are buying into it now because it's a different game. It's just a faster pace game. It's more social. You're closer together. It's like ping pong on a tennis court, or, or okay. from what I've heard that. So you um, haven't played. I have not played. My son has played with a tennis player. Um, I have not. Our coach. Coach Cut. No, I drive by people playing pickleball every night when I'm going home. But the people I hear that play it love it and are all in. You know, yeah. golfers or other tennis players that I, you know, I have friends that tell me they they play it constantly. Do in college the teams have pickleball? Not teams? to my knowledge, not yet. So we could be uncommon and have a pickleball team coming. We could. Or that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Start it off, Let's, man. Let's there get ahead go. of the curve here. <laughs> 
because you know what's going to happen. It is. We could use one of the malls or the, the some facilities here on campus that might you know have space so. available. I hear the noise is a real complaint, like anytime they're in a neighborhood or whatever. And so I'm I'm trying to envision this in a mall. Huh? I mean, it seems like that'd be pretty loud with the echoing. And yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, I mean what they do is take the mall and build like twenty courts, so it's all pickleball. Yeah. And I think there's ways with the wall thing the the lessen that noise. But you're right with the it's like a whipple a hard whipple ball that it is a little louder than tennis. But I think you know the people that are playing it are loving, and we deal with that every day. You know when you you know I'm reading a book about professional soccer and how it's grown how the it grew you know the last twenty years and. You know, in England, they build their sports stadiums right inside the city where there's no parking. And we deal with it with our facility that are right in it, that could be too loud or the lights mm-hmm. are on or the, the, music, or the sound yeah. system mm-hmm. is is too loud. So, right. you know, we deal with that in every sport that we um, mm-hmm. offer, whether it's, you know, in the city or not. Stars pickleball. Stars pickleball. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to go on on site next time and do our, our podcast from a pickleball facility and do a little Just, a little tournament here. I think there'd be some competition. On I, I would actually be down to play. All right, let's do it. So, again, great to be where we're at this fall here on LCC's campus and you know seeing our student athletes yes. um, get going on the competition field. So, looking forward to a great year. Go Stars. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Stars! Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship, offering graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. The scholarship offers 65 credits over the course of four years from high school graduation. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu hope. With everything you've done to lift up those around you during your military career, we're not going to let your money concerns get you down. We're the NFCC, and we've got your back on this one. As your financial advocate, we're dedicated to improving the financial health of all members of the military community. Whether your debt issues are related to student loans or housing or involve credit cards, our goal is to help you to defend your financial future. NFCC certified credit counselors have already made the difference for thousands of military members and their families. Let us make a difference for you and yours. Schedule a confidential financial review with an objective nonprofit NFCC financial counselor. 
call us today at 877-404-6322. That's 877-404-6322. Or visit us at nfcc.org slash military. You owe it to yourself. Get relief now. Hi, I'm John Selegi, director of the LCC Library. Join me and my co-hosts, Amy Ewald, Robin Moore, and Abby Tebow for a new show here on LCC Connect called Written in the Stars. It's all about writers, publishers, and lovers of the written word at LCC. Written in the Stars, coming soon to LCC Connect. Find updates at lccconnect.org. The Adult Enrichment Program at LCC offers classes in watercolor, creative welding, motorcycle safety, photography, and more. All classes are non-credit. Information about the Adult Enrichment Program is available at lcc.edu slash keep learning. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Community Convos, a podcast and radio program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in Lansing and around mid-Michigan. And this is Dedalian once again back on the Convo, and it is that time of the year. Halloween coming up, always a fun time for the kids. And of course, one place that has been doing or bringing the fun to the kids each and every year, Potter Park Zoo. Carolyn Fabro from Potter Park joining me, special projects coordinator. Yep. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, so it's coming up. Now, how many years has it been that Potter Park has been doing this? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. So I've been it's there been for quite a while. Yeah, this is my fifth season. Yeah. Um, and that included a COVID season where we sure, had to do sure. something a little different. But Everybody else yeah, in this right, world. Right. Yeah, right, right. So um, I want to say it's probably been at least 20 years. 20 I would, years, I would yeah. imagine at least, yeah. yeah. yeah that sounds about right, too, because I, I can remember it from the furthest time back. And, of course, I'm not going to say that people aren't familiar with this, but there might be people that still have not gone to Boo yeah. at the zoo, yeah. which is what we're talking about today. So tell me what if somebody had never gone to this before. Mm-hmm. What's what's Boo at the Zoo? Yeah, so um, Boo at the Zoo is our family-friendly um, Halloween fall event that we do. It is October 21st and 22nd and 28th and 29th this year. Um, activities are noon to 5, so we're open f- for the entire day, but the activities for Boo at the Zoo don't start until noon. Um, but that's going to include community partners um, from the area who will have giveaways, candy, games, that kind of stuff, as well as additional activities that we bring in. Um, this year, we're going to have... Um, bounce houses, inflatable kind of fun. Um, we're bringing back our hayride. Um, that's something that we haven't been able to do since we um, reopened since COVID. Where exactly does the hayride go? Um, so it's mostly going to just go around the parking lot. Okay. Um, it's the biggest loop that we've sure. got. Yeah. Um, but this year, really exciting. We are able to accommodate um, those in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And the last couple of times that we've done that, we didn't have a safe way to have somebody in a wheelchair on the hayride this year. We're able to do that. Awesome. So that's really exciting for us to be able to um, be inclusive, be, be yeah. inclusive with yeah. that. That's something that we strive for in everything that sure. we do. Um, and we're going to have characters this year. I'm bringing in characters. I think we're going to have some like Sanderson sisters, some princesses and their villains. Um, and then we're going to do 
costume parades. We're going to encourage the kids to dress up and um, walk around the zoo. We're going to, at 1.30 every day of the event, we're going to ask the zoo staff to come out and cheer on these kids who dressed up to come out to the zoo. Very cool. So you've had a chance to witness this, you said, for five five years yeah. or so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, what's the coolest costume you've seen over the years from one of the kids? It's always a kick to see those inflatable costumes. Um, oh yeah. That's, that's the, kind of a big thing. Now, yeah. The, yeah. um, the, some of the animals really go crazy over those. Our wolves have left, but they used to like really be interested in the kids that were walking by really? in those, in those uh, <laughs> dra- dinosaur inflatable costumes and the lions too. They, it would, it would really rile some of those animals up and it's just funny to see them do that. That is an interesting, I like, I wouldn't even think that that would be a thing, but I guess it does make yeah, sense. It's something like, entirely different that they wouldn't see. And like, it's bigger than them. It's, you know, it's just, it's weird. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, so exactly where would people go to get all the information on Boo at the Zoo? Um, they can go to our website, potterparkzoo.org. Um, it's going to be under the events tab, public events calendar, and you can buy your tickets online or you can buy tickets, um, as a walk up. Okay. Carolyn Fabro, special projects coordinator for the Potter Park Zoo, Boo at the Zoo taking place October 21st, 22nd and 28th and 29th. Carolyn, thanks so much for coming in and yeah, joining me here on the Thanks for having Campbell. me. Yeah. You've been listening to Community Combos, a program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in our community. To listen to this episode on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org or find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Community Combos, email us lcc-connect at lcc.edu. And thanks for joining the combo. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.